Hello and welcome to Australian Gothic, a podcast about cursed Australiana. And today we have a rare treat, everyone. It's a Josie-led episode. These are sadly going to be a rare thing because Josie is doing real-life important shit, her masters. She has promised she will not take the lead on an episode again, uh, which is very sad for us all, but we respect her decision. And today we've got... Uh... I don't know if I promised. Not at all. <laughs> look, I look in prep for this episode. I was like, you know, going through our list of episodes. We kind of write them like ten ahead at a time, giving you a peek behind the curtain. And uh, we finished the Dame Edna episode. Josie was looking at the list, and she was just like, "Oh, oh, fuck yeah, I'm gonna do that." And she just kind of like ran with it. And I, on- I honestly felt a little bit lost. I feel like I'm unprepared for this episode, but uh. But uh, yeah, Josie, what are we what are we talking about today? Okay, so today we are talking about the phenomenon of big things. Before I get to what a big thing is, I just want to enter a bit of housekeeping or dad chat. Lucas will, as usual, put in the timestamp if you don't want to listen to me gas bag. Eleven minutes, 11 nine, minutes seconds. nine seconds. So before we get started, um, I just want to address one of our listeners noted disappointment that in our last episode about Dame Edna, when it came to talking about Laura Bacall, uh, she was only Lauren Bacall. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's all right. Did I say Laura? Oh my God. In apologizing. I didn't even get her name right. (laughs) How fucked is that? Oh my God. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Whoever whoever the fuck she is. (laughs) (laughs) Look, look, sadly, she passed away some years ago and, you know, I believe, like, you know, was retired for a while before that. So, you know, sadly, not exactly, like, fresh on our minds, you know, in terms of broader pop culture. Yeah, but, like, you know, the... When it came to talking about her, she was only noted in relation to her relationship with other men in the episode. And Bechtel wept. Like, that is totally a fair cop. My explanation is that this reflected the nature of a lot of Dame Edna's questioning of Bacall. Absolutely. Yeah, but it is certainly not an excuse. And if I simply sought to match the standard of Barry Humphreys, then we've got bigger problems. Um <laughs> So consider this an apology, it won't happen again, and take this as the sign you need to watch Howl's Moving Castle, in which Bacall voices the Witch of the Waste in the English dub. I watched it for the first time in nearly a decade, um, a few weekends ago, and it's better than I remembered. So good. She's so good in it. Yeah, she's. Uh, th- it's just such a great movie in general. Um, but yeah, I-, I guess I just wanted to apologise and to just say, like, if, there re- if I do fuck up, which... Sadly, I do on occasion. Um, people are more than welcome to provide feedback. Uh, everyone, please enjoy the rare Josie apology. I will probably be the main one doing the apologies <laughs> from here on out. So we return to our scheduled programming. Look, I, I kind of stuffed up as well. Like, I, I should have stopped. Uh, look, another really good Lauren Bacall movie, probably the most famous one, is The Big Sleep. Uh, it is considered one of the most, I can't remember the year it was made. Um, I believe that's where she met her husband, Humphrey Bogart, but we're not talking about him. Fuck him. Uh, Lauren <laughs> Bacall is really good in it. She's like one of the, it was like, it's considered one of the seminal detective movies. She is considered one of the like sort of leading femme fatales in the genre or sort of female right. leads. Uh, it's very good. I know, you know, some people, particularly like my wife, uh, struggle to watch movies from that long ago, but, uh, but I promise it's very good. Okay, I'll give that a go. I think, was that like an adaptation from a book? Philip Marlowe, yeah. Huh, well, cool. Well, I will give that a go. But yeah, on to the episode. If, oh, sorry, Lucas, did you have anything you wanted to update us with? Oh 
man, should I talk about being diagnosed with ADHD or people not going to care? Yeah, anything? why not? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. This is the first episode where I've been medicated for ADHD, which I have officially. Yay! <laughs> yeah, so, so no, it's great. Uh, it made a lot of sense. Uh, it was a wonderful moment where, like, you know, sometimes you have to do homework to get diagnosed with ADHD. And my, mm-hmm. my uh, psychiatrist was just like, hey, uh, 35-year-old man, do you still have your primary school report cards? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Jesus, fuck, of course I don't. But fortunately, almost, almost as in, if in preparation, my mum, uh, who had been cleaning out her house, was like, yo, I've got all your old like primary school shit. Like, can you get it out of here? And I was like, meaning yes, to like- thank just, you. I was meaning to like throw it in a bin, but there were like photos and it was just like, oh fuck, here's all the report cards. And a psychiatrist took one look at the report cards and he was just like, oh Jesus. Uh, ooh, there it is. You, uh, you oh, have, that's interesting. You have the most ADHD. You have, you are the Cuisarts Hutterock of ADHD. <laughs> well, see, this is really interesting, and I'm so glad that it worked out for you, um, and that you had those on hand. But um, mine was like weird in that. F- first of all, I don't have access to that, and um, not just me, not me, but like other people I know aren't in communication with their family so to get those records is like impossible second of all the way that my adhd manifested like i worked so hard to like act like a normie so like my my report cards are really good um (laughs) and like my behavior is like perfect because rejection sensitive dysphoria if i even had like a shh at me from the teacher, I'd be in tears. Oh, um, oh, so, so I was a perfect little lady. But I think it's like something they have to do to like formally diagnose you. They kind of have to go through those steps. And and yeah, I'm I'm so glad though that yours was like relatively painless, although still painful. Trying to get someone who almost certainly has ADHD to like you know do get those things, like... do homework, and yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's all painful, but I'm so glad that, yeah, you've been diagnosed and medicated and I hope it works out well for you. Yeah, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really good. Um, I was, I too was really concerned because like going through the report cards, uh, only one of them had like some really bad shit was just like in year four, it was just like, (laughs) whoa, this kid is shit at maths. He is backsliding hard. And you know, all the, everything about behavior was like mostly fine. It was just like, oh, he's you know, happy. And I was just like, I was a fucking clown. I would, I would speak up. I'd be a goofball. I was, I was a, I was a little shit. Like, um, oh, you, yeah. But no, yeah. some, somehow the psychiatrist was just like, oh, there it is. Yeah. Inattentive, compulsive. And that stuff you Compuls- keep saying, you keep doing. It's just like, like starting a oh, podcast yeah. two months before your wife has your second child. <laughs> so. Oh boy. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm medicated now. It's been very helpful. I mean, I think it took me, that was sort of like last Wednesday, I got my, got my meds. Uh, I think mm-hmm. I needed a couple of days to like get used to it and stop like buzzing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even like I'm buzzing, glad... but just being like, oh, this is different. Yeah, I'm glad that um, you were sort of prepared for that because like no one told me that there would be this initial like, um, you know, it's, it, it I was incredible like the first week or so and then I felt that I was scared because I was like oh no it's not working anymore but that's just not the case obviously like you said your body has to get used to it so I'm glad that whoever whether it was your own research or 
your care team warned you of that because i've met people who are there like oh it stopped working for me and i'm just like oh fuck no like it probably didn't it, you probably just you're, you're yeah. used to it now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. an initial like two days of turning super saiyan yes yes <laughs> you know doing all my usual work but like blasting all the techno i used to listen to as a kid mm-hmm. no it's been fantastic i mean like even you know at night it's sort of like a i got the slow release meds uh i am mm-hmm. way more patient with like putting my children to bed which is oh that's know, so good but beforehand you know it's like you know all right time to put my children to bed uh, I am also really tired and exhausted from, you know, trying mm-hmm. to, you know, do work and, you know, do masking and, you know, concentrate all day that I'm just like, oh man, like I'm, I am struggling to like, Lord help you if your kid is like sick or needy that night. It's just like, Jesus, mm-hmm. Jesus, I just got to like. And it's even, I mean, I hope you find this too, but it's like, even once you kind of get that diagnosis, you know, maybe you will still feel that those impatient feelings and be tired but it's kind of like oh I understand why I feel like this now and you can kind of be kinder to yourself and also just like more accepting of the situation rather than like frustrated yeah I've also you know it's not just meds I got I got books I got other resources so oh yeah yeah, uh, but I realize I'm in the rare good situation that I was actually able to find a psychiatrist uh I feel my feel like my doctor uh went out on a limb there because you know I've been trying to get diagnosed for like the past year and I know there are some people who spend years doing this shit and uh yeah not getting the treatment they need and then like dealing with friends and family saying like nah nah you're fine it's just like Mm -hmm. really okay because I've been doing like all the shit that ADHD people have done my whole life I'm so excited to see like long term how this pans out for you because like yeah when I think of my adult life and it was just like backsliding 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 and then as soon as and like I I would fight to improve on my grades specifically and then you you can sort of like mark exactly where I got diagnosed and medicated because my grades just shot up (laughs) and yeah it was like and because I was used to working so fucking hard, it was like, oh, I actually, like, know how to, like, put in hard work. And then I'm also capable of doing it. So, yeah, I'm keen to see how, like, what life changes happen for you. Yeah, look, uh, my, my hopes are, you know, just, like, more attentive and present for my family and mm-hmm. more energy to put into cool shit like this. Because, like, yeah, sadly, some of the times, you know, we tend to record this at night because we both have little kids. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you are, you know, absolutely smacked from work or, you know, sick or whatever, everyone might sound notably a little more tired. I think at the end of the Picnic at Hang Rock episode, if you listen back, I probably sound a bit sleepy. (laughs) There's only so much (laughs) editing you can do to get around that. Yeah. But no, I'm hoping it improves the quality of this as well. So, uh, yeah. yeah. uh, There we go. In terms of big improvements, what what are some other (laughs) big things we could talk about? Big things. All right. Well, before we get into it, uh, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge that this episode of Australian Gothic is being recorded on Turrbal and Yagara land, and that sovereignty was never ceded, which will be a theme that has, I mean, it's come before in this podcast, and it will continue to, especially in this episode. Oh, so this I episode, have, I'm, I'm on, I'm in a different country. Sorry, I found out that I am actually in Kwandamooka country oh i i assumed i was also in me engine sort of terrible yagara country but uh my mistake my apologies for the previous episode where i i did that as well uh yeah uh, kwandamooka country so terrible yagara and kwandamooka yeah that makes sense now i think of where you actually are so 
In this episode, I'm first going to go over what is a big thing. Big things are plainly just like a roadside attraction of a thing that you wouldn't normally see on the side of the road, and it is bigger than the thing that it is representing. So for instance, a big pineapple. It is a very large structure of a pineapple. Pineapples don't get that big in nature. We've built a big one. It's on the side of the road. You can go take a photo with it. Very cool. That's like the, the easy explanation of what a big thing is. Lucas, have you ever experienced a big thing in Australia? Look, the main one I remember, because being from, again, uh, Brisbane, Mianjin, my nana lives on the Sunshine Coast, uh, so we would go past the Big Pineapple fairly often until, obviously, like, the Big Bypass was built, uh, which has led <clears> to, like, third or fifth severe decline of the Big Pineapple. But, uh, yeah. I remember I have very clear memories of going to the Big Pineapple as a kid. I may be kind of deprived in this area because I'm pretty sure that's the only one I've properly gone to. I've definitely seen a couple other big things from a distance. Mm -hmm. Definitely like one or two Ned Kellys. Oh, jeez. That's too many. I know, I know. uh, Guess who's getting their own fucking episode. (laughs) (laughs) The one I saw most recently, and uh, I I don't know if you could call it, you know, a privilege or anything like that, but uh, we were in, my family and I were in Cairns on holiday in January this year, and I got to see the big, big fucked up dog whistly Captain Cook. Uh, before it, before the fucker got tore down uh, earlier this year. I was only in Cairns like a w- week or so ago, and thankfully he had been torn down since. <laughs> yeah, what what did you feel when you saw the big the big Captain Cook? I'll talk about him in more depth later, but what feelings did you get when you s- saw him? Did you see, were you inspired or inspired? <laughs> well, well, as some people said, um, and you'll probably get into this, uh, into this he was built uh as part of like a motel or hotel that has long since shut down long since been demolished so he's just kind of fucking standing there in an empty field (laughs) and as we'll get into like a lot of these things were built a long time ago from materials that really aren't meant to stand the test of time and uh, really he just looked a bit shit and then, <laughs> yeah. we'll, and then we'll get to what he's doing with his hands uh that'll be oh, probably yeah. be later in the episode and i was just like hmm like because it really huh sadly it's only <laughs> been in the last like five years that i really understood that like oh it fucking sucks that we have so much captain cook shit around like that guy is shit have you seen the ballina big prawn maybe maybe because again like you know i spent spent a decent amount of time in byron bay like growing up so I feel like I've probably been to Ballina like maybe once or twice. Like again, we're talking like 10 years ago. So maybe. Well, I would recommend it. It's my favorite big thing. I've only seen the big banana, big pineapple and big prawn. Um, And the big prawn is my favorite. It's really pretty. And it is very big, very big. I guess in terms of ratio out of those things, it's probably like the biggest compared to its like it's a real size. life counterpart yeah we're talking yeah. a tiger prawn or like a little prawn shippy prawn i ain't i ain't a fish biologist <laughs> wrong lady <laughs> to give a bit more context to our listeners on what a big thing is not that people probably really need it australians definitely won't need it overseas people less likely to need it especially our american listeners um since they are the home of the roadside big thing attraction before i get going uh i will be sort of drawing upon two main readings i did to prepare for this episode 
uh, Clark's 2017 paper, Australia's Big Dilemma, Regional National Identities, Heritage Listing and Big Things. And just a few days ago, I was just going to, I just gave it one more search on the old Google and I found a 2020 honours thesis uh, from University of Wisconsin. Wisconsin, okay. Yeah, yeah, Madison, Wisconsin. Thesis by Cole Glazier titled Terra Nullius and Boxing Crocodiles, Colonialism in the Kitsch. And it was fucking fantastic. I I can't wait to get into it. Um, both of these, along with any other sources I will use, will be linked in the show notes. So what is a big thing? I This is something I never thought about. I'm just like, it is something that is as I said at the start, sort of just like riffing, like it is a thing that is bigger and you you don't see them that big. But there is no official sort of register of big things in Australia, which surprised me. I thought people would have like meticulously catalogued them, but they they just haven't. Uh, So I'm just going to be using Clark's definition. Big things itself is an Australian phrase, which I didn't know. Um, Like that. Yeah, yeah. So like they're just called roadside attractions, whereas here we're calling big things. <laughs> it's to the point. Why not? Yeah, it really is. It's it's self-explanatory. It's an Australian phrase for roadside attractions that are inherently different from buildings and typically represent as close to a 360 degree exterior view of the object as structurally possible. They need to be artificially made and bigger than the thing they represent. I know that the they need to be bigger than the thing they represent feels obvious, but um, in every conversation I've had leading up to sort of recording this episode um, that I've had with people, almost everyone has brought up the big Uluru. Um, <laughs> have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not it's not called that, sadly. Uh, no, it's called yeah. No, it's uh, it's called it's called Big Airs Rock. I I can say it. And it is fun to, I mean, it is not, it is a fucking horrible uh, mockery of a sacred site. So the the name fits. Um, but yeah, some dudes called the Leyland Brothers or whatever made this quote unquote big ass rock that is absolutely not as big as Uluru, like by far. So that doesn't fit into this definition. Sorry to break everyone's hearts. That never even occurred to me. <laughs> yeah, you're like, that's the big... Oh, no, it's not. This It's just a horrible, horrible little statue. Actually, probably fucking microscopic Uluru. <laughs> Basically. Uh, I'd love to see the real thing one day. A third criteria that Clark introduced in their paper is that the structure must have been built for their existing context. So this would exclude objects that have been built for one context and then relocated where they remain an attraction. So they gave an example of like this giant kangaroo that was made for like a commonwealth games and then it was sold off and moved to like a petrol station like while that is technically a big thing it wasn't if you want to get kind of more specific it it kind of needs to be there for the sake of itself if that makes sense like i have another example of that i know uh tying back to uh mention in the picnic hanging rock episode uh star of that movie john jarrett uh, was in a very you know quite silly crocodile movie called dark age about a very big crocodile okay and the prop crocodile is now considered a a big thing because uh, in the movie oh. i think it was like i don't know fucking 20 30 meters like insane so that is now mm-hmm. considered a big thing so yeah like sometimes oh. old movie props yeah for this um i mean obviously there's i am not personally the arbiter of what is and isn't a big thing but that wouldn't fit this definition 
um, which is interesting. But I think that has its own cultural significance behind it too. So that's a personally a gray zone for me. That's interesting. <laughs> Clark notes that the movement of, say, the crocodile, right? Like from one location to another, it can't reflect the sociocultural attributes of their present location with the same intensity that other big things can. As I said, like despite the popularity of big things in Australia, they aren't well well documented both individually and as a collective. Some have attempted to do so, but they don't really offer a historical narrative. Do you know what the first big thing in Australia was? Um, it's down to two. It seems to be a lot of people say the big banana in Coffs Harbour, and it's also uh-huh. probably one of the ones that's still going. Uh, but a yep. lot of people say that it was actually a thing called the Big Scotsman, and I don't quite yes. recall where that came no from. No idea what that is. Uh, that one is in South Australia, and I have no idea what that is. I'm guessing it's just a dude in a kilt. I think he's playing bagpipes. That sounds right. I don't know what else a Scotsman does. Um, So, yeah, you're right. Both of those, and they were built in 1963. I found this interesting. By 1963, big things had already been fashionable in the US for quite a while um, in the 20th century. But this delayed is explained by, like, car production and ownership in Australia sort of only really occurring uh, with gusto around sort of the early 60s and there's also the added fact that unlike the US long distance infrastructure suitable for holiday travel was not available so in short this is to say that the growth of big things in Australia is directly tied to the adoption of the motor car as the preferred mode of long distance travel for the middle class I also saw I also read Amy Clark's piece I was just like yeah I finally found something Josie was just like oh I've read that (laughs) that's okay yeah it's interesting that uh yeah not only is it like car ownership in the 50s and 60s but also the rise of caravan parks and motels I'm not sure if I'm like jumping too far ahead but apparently Queensland and New South Wales according to Clark's piece uh has the biggest amount of big things mainly because the pacific and bruce highways which were like some of the you know longest biggest highways yeah yeah uh, that connect the two states and yeah again like car ownership and everything like that so there was just a lot of roadsides that you could build big things on that makes sense yeah with like the the highways like that's where most of the population is like on the east coast there so you're going to get more people driving along there like that yeah that tracks no see this is why when you were like oh i'm gonna be reading the paper That's totally fine, because, like, that just totally skipped my mind. (laughs) Clark goes on to detail that the popularity of constructing new big things has declined over the last few decades, and now these structures have, like, a complex social, political, and cultural meaning that's often contested. So, as many big things are tied to private businesses, many of them have become financial liabilities and may even be at odds with the local industry and the use of the space. So, like, I believe that uh, in the context of the big pineapple up at Nambour, I I think they still, like, they still grow pineapple there. I don't know if it's, like, as much as they used to I I don't know I don't know what the go is there well uh yeah they still grow pineapple but like there used to be I remember going on like you know a big like boat ride you know amusement park Mm -hmm. attraction there that had dinosaurs it was a little bit scary because I was (laughs) like eight yes you would go there just to go there like some of these big things I think uh you know the big banana still going strong like has an attached amusement park other big attractions are purely like no there's like a big 
big piece of fruit there's a big lobster there's a big bogan yeah like you go go yeah. get your photo yeah. if you're passing through yes yeah which you can still do at the big pineapple and that was for a long time the only thing you could do at the big pineapple because it had sort of this like before it uh spoiler alert got onto the heritage register yeah it was so decrepit and gross and because of the highway you mentioned before i think the paper said it lost about around sixty thousand cars a day yeah coming past the big pineapple so that obviously impacted the not only just who's visiting the big pineapple but also you know nambor itself and um, just that local sort of, I guess, economy as well. They were doing like music festivals there for a bit. I was meant to shoot one, but then the company I was working for like folded very dramatically. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, I, I can't <laughs> shoot it anymore because I won't get paid. So no, thanks. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> don't love don't love the pineapple that much. So, yeah, as I said, like in the instance of the big pineapple in Nambour, a lot of effort went into protecting the big pineapple. Clark suggests that this these sort of like community-led campaigns that seek to preserve big things are evidence that big things may offer familiar marks in an ever-changing landscape and that their absence would be an emotional loss rather than a practical one so you know people want to preserve the big pineapple not because it's necessarily doing anything for the town of Nambour itself because you don't have to actually enter Nambour proper to visit the big pineapple but it still means a lot to people, right? There's a wonderful quote in the article from a Mambo artist, Reg Mombasa. I wasn't sure if you were going to get to that or not. No. He makes a very cutting to the fucking bone point about like how in Australia, you know, Australia as a country, a federated country, has only existed for about like 122 years at this point. We don't really have many historic buildings. You know, all our mm-hmm. historic buildings are not like, you know, not like, you know, in a country like France or England where you, like, have someone's fucking house is, like, hundreds of years old. Oh, even the US, right? No historic buildings, so we need a thing to say, we're here, this is our place. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a fun way to do that, as silly as it seems, is is a big prawn. Yeah. I honestly, like, I mean, regardless of what I'm sort of about to, to say about big things later on, I, I still think that's true. It's the closest thing the colony has to i guess an identity that on the face of it isn't inherently about violence obviously not including captain cook but um yeah like i i could see how like this kitschy sort of um big pineapple where a lot of people have memories like a lot of people responded to our twitter thread about big things you know they would talk about driving with their family some people posted photos of their growing family as they would stop at the big banana and coffs harbor over the decades and you know there would be a child another child the children grown up with a dog and you know those particular posts were by a friend of the show Flashman, who preceded those posts with a story about how his wife as a child had always driven past the big banana her family never actually went so she kind of like forged on this family tradition it's really really cute and yeah like it's it's funny because it's a big banana bananas aren't supposed to be that big <laughs> i definitely do see that perspective and it's interesting thinking about how like the big pineapple specifically means a lot to a lot of people and to the point where it was put onto this like heritage register right Mm -hmm. but then you've got the opposite in the same state obviously quite far away still but you've got this like opposite thing where it's like the captain cook statue which definitely had some supporters uh including 
fucking some Drongo who bought the statue for a dollar and promises that it will rise again or will stand again or something like that. Mm-hmm. Most people were just like, nah, this is pretty fucked. And if you look at it, oh my God, like I posted it before, I'm, I'll post it again. He's not supposed to be doing a Nazi salute. But Captain Cook is doing a fucking Nazi salute. It's too close to a Nazi salute, right? Like, you can't you can't be Captain Cook and be doing that. It's very, like I said, very dog-whistly. Uh, technically, it's called a Roman salute. It's a fucking Nazi salute. <laughs> yeah, fucking, yeah, cool. Fucking Nick Fuentes-ass motherfucker. Jesus Christ. And, and if this dipshit wants to spend, like, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars refurbing this thing, because, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it even more, like, these things were not built to last, like, some of them were made, like, the cheapest fucking concrete, like, some of them are getting concrete cancer. Oh, so, like, our house is here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As I stare at the fucking cracks in my wall. <laughs> oh, God. When I got to this point about, like, how so many of them are, like, falling apart and the upkeep is, like, not worth the amount of, like, money they're bringing in, in some cases, definitely not worth like making them mm-hmm. heritage objects because the people who own them are just like, fuck no. So many of them are now decrepit. And as the guy who runs a podcast called Australian Gothic, I hooted and clapped and cackled like a madman in a HP Lovecraft story because even though Australia is like only just over 100 years <laughs> old, we have Gothic shit. That is, that is, um, an astute observation that is amazing yep yep (laughs) oh incredible now i want to take some like really like edgy photos of decrepit big things that sounds sick look we don't um the podcast art is is a photo i took of the grampians i like it i i mainly used it because i thought it was kind of pretty and eerie i also i knew we'd do picnic at hang rock at some point uh, you have seen the treatment for the episode art. <laughs> so, so look, we can still change that a little bit. That's true. There's scope. There's a conversation we had about that. Yeah. And we will, we will continue to talk about that. I'm glad you had the same thought I had. Yes, yes. Speaking of dog shit Captain Cook, this was sort of briefly mentioned in Clark's piece, but their work was more about architecture and, like, whose responsibility it is, whereas this honors thesis, again, written by someone from University of Wisconsin-Madison, amazing, kind of went into the symbolism, the settler colonial mindset that big things sort of reveal. And as soon as I read it, I was like, holy shit yes basically you don't need to read cole glazier's thesis to realize how dodgy a giant ass captain cook doing what looks like a fucking nazi salute is like particularly in a city where its port was used for transporting enslaved people and much of its industry was built by enslaved people Mm. and i only found this out sort of separate to reading about the big thing itself because i was in cairns only a few weekends ago and I was just like Googling. I was like, oh, surely that's not like a natural port. Surely they dredged it over, you know, having a final fucking brunch with my family who I don't see very often. I was like, oh, get the Google out. Got to find this out. And I was like, oh yeah, dredged port, mostly used for bringing in enslaved people, people from Pacific Islands, uh, which we'll get to in another episode i'm sure we did slavery here and also uh you true to your name as a true to your promise as of the first episode saying that you are the person who brings up like atrocities in <laughs> in like otherwise wholesome social scenarios oh uh, yeah oh josie <laughs> yeah i was like wow hey everyone we're having a nice sunny brunch here let me talk about what this port was used for 
Sorry, everyone. No any good atrocities? <laughs> so many, so many. Um, well, not good, but you know what I mean. So basically, you don't need to read Cole Glazier's thesis to sort of come to the conclusion that it's like a bit, a bit crook. And frankly, this one, like this whole Captain Cook statue situation is a little on the nose. If you don't know who Captain Cook was... He was a piece of shit who, while on a scientific voyage for the British Empire in 1770, landed in what is known today as Sydney. He and his crew travelled north up the coast recording what they saw before returning to England where he shared what he quote-unquote discovered. This started the process of colonisation by the British Empire. Many people I know celebrate Valentine's Day as Captain Cook Death Day because lol owned. (laughs) Also, apparently he may not have been, not the first to discover Australia, but I believe in Dark Emu there's talk that like some Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people may have done some trade with China and maybe in fact the Chinese navigator Zhang Ha may have even come to Australia for a bit first. So... I would not be surprised because talking to, um, you know, I've been on two different sort of um, tourist experiences on, on different countries. Our guides were like, oh, yeah, and we'd like, oh, we'd trade with like people in Torres Strait and stuff like that. But it's like I was on Gugu Yulanji country and they were saying that they make didgeridoos there. But even though like traditionally they don't play didgeridoos, they knew that other nations played them. I'm probably like, this sounds really obvious. Unlearning all this shit about First Nations peoples and, you know, they have fucking sophisticated walking tracks and trade routes and everything like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was already trade with other, I guess, nations first. Back to the big Captain Cook. He stood at around 7 to 10 metres tall and towered over a pub. His arm was extended to the south, even though, as I just mentioned, he travelled north. Um... (laughs) So good, good job, guys. Really well done. Um, <laughs> if you Google the big Captain Cook, you will surely see every type of unfortunate discourse you could expect in a white settler colony that has a problem with its relationship to both the truth and history. I personally think it's pretty classic that this dude who, like, so much crap is named after and who is heralded as some sort of hero is towering over a pub complete with gambling facilities because, you know, Australia, what is the fucking settler colony without like a horrible relationship to both drinking and gambling? Like, beautiful. <laughs> couldn't couldn't make this up. You know, in the case of the Big Pineapple, prior to it being listed on the state heritage register, those who opposed its preservation existed. Like the arguments against its preservation was sort of like situated in opposition to like its visual appeal and the financial burden it would cause. But in the case of Captain Cook, the argument surrounding the cultural meaning of the looming figure is more readily apparent and did eventually result in it being taken down only a few months ago. While some whiteys in particular see a monument to the achievement of European explorers who built Australia, it is undoubtedly a symbol of colonialism, genocide, and continued oppression of the First Nations peoples who have been on this land for about 60,000 years. In 2017, the Big Captain Cook was vandalised on what is largely celebrated as a holiday, Australia Day, but is recognised as Invasion Day, a day of mourning by many others. This date marks the anniversary of Cook's landing and supposed founding of the country. Total bullshit. Anyway, I guess I bring this up because, like, the deeply painful reminder that this big thing serves, like, was made clear 
um, time and time again, and I'm so glad it's been taken down. Cole Glazier noted that while the Big Pineapple was the most Instagrammed Australian big thing, Captain Cook was the least. Huh. Yeah, fucking suck shit, dude. But only people are taking photos with it are like nerds and racists, and sadly sometimes that is just one circle. <laughs> So, yeah, yes. Although there were some posts that Cole Glazier noted that sort of, like, took photos of it and in the captions people denounced its existence and described the statue as ugly (laughs) and that they would promise to find things more interesting to share, which I was just like, fucking own, dude. Also, the only people taking photos with it are dunking on it. (laughs) So many of them, yeah. I mean, of what it did exist, right? Yep. So kind of getting into like the meat of Cole Glazier's perspective and and that I tend to agree with is that while big things were constructed in Australia in the 20th century, like quite recently, the attitude of terra nullius lurks behind it. Big things are positioned to offer interest along long drives across a continent that is largely empty and devoid of value. Just as we reflected on in our earlier episode on the film Picnic at Hanging Rock, colonialism created binaries in the environment, settled and unsettled, known and unknowable, the livable landscape versus the harsh wilderness. Big things may be seen as an attempt to claim the environment, or at least of the signposts of quote-unquote civilization. This kind of direct quote from Cole Glazier, quote, roadside colossi are another instance of declaring that the landscape is owned and controlled. And again, guy who started a podcast called Australian Gothic cackling like a madman because like, take one more look behind the curtain with me. In the show notes, this episode was called Big Pineapple, Big Prawn, Big Crab, Big Gaping Void. You know, at first I thought like, oh, that's a bit cynical. You know, it's saying that like, oh, Australian culture is like vapid and you know, empty and, you know, what is there is actually quite sinister. But reading, like, there is basically a similar sentiment in uh, Amy in Amy Clark's article that we talked about previously about, uh, this is paraphrasing, like how 20th century understandings of mainstream Australian identity and pop culture are embedded with ideas of the outback and the ability of Australians to survive or conquer it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, uh, and also, you know, Reg Mombasa's quote earlier about, like, how, you know, it's something that says, like, we're here, this is our place. My cynical observation is kind of true that like they they exist to cover up like the fact that like, oh, there's nothing there. There's just wilderness. And you know, it is, it isn't empty wilderness. People have been living here for years, coexisting peacefully with the land without being detrimental to their environment. Whilst researching this, I will probably get to like the kitsch side of it. I, I quite enjoy the kitsch side of these road attractions. I think they're- Totally. They're silly. I think- I like the idea that kitsch is our national character and we're happy mm-hmm. about it. It's it's better than what a lot of other nations have built their stuff on, you know, if you, yeah. if you must. Uh, but uh, yeah, I can't believe that like my cynical asshole just like filling in numbers on a script was like kind of nailed a point that like actual academics made. No, I, I think you're right. And I think like, I know that I'm sort of like quoting from these resources that I don't mean to overwhelm people, but like, I think this is something that we all intuitively know. With so much of Australian culture, it seems very forced and yeah, we'll cling on to anything. Like, you know, the democracy sausage, I think we've brought it up before maybe, how it's like, haha, election day, we're gonna have our sausage on bread. And like, people have like decided to cling on to this thing and make it our entire fucking identity. And it seems really desperate and forced, (laughs) which, you know, if that 
like as long as you admit that like whatever like you're just like yeah no i got nothing else so <laughs> Is, isn't that fundamentally australian to be like lol isn't it stupid aren't we larrikins that we've we worship a giant pineapple and we're obsessed with what wikipedia describes as poverty food I, mm. that may just be like a very unkind writer but like no it is yeah. yeah, the fact that we're all obsessed with this snack and decide to make it our whole identity. And it's not the first time that's happened. There was like, you know, the, no. halal, the halal snack pack for a bit, which I think is a bit better because it's a bit more multicultural, maybe. Mm-hmm. Sadly, also associated with like a real shit former politician who kind of glommed onto it. But yeah, yes. it's, it, it is kind of fun and larrikiny and laid back to lay undue veneration on these like very silly things. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people are starting to explore the idea that nations shouldn't exist and maybe the idea of national (laughs) identity is maybe a tool for like atrocities and so Mm. maybe we shouldn't have that but maybe this is if you must this is a good way to go about it well in the clark piece i do remember there was like sort of just this brief mention of how there was an optimist's take of the lack of new big things and it was like oh maybe more people sort of reconnecting with the actual wonders of the land that we occupy i could fucking rant on forever about last two holidays i've been on and how incredible and how much history and knowledge there is about a place that you might walk by every day um not obviously not in the case of the Sundays, it's spectacular no matter what but this particular beach up in far north queensland we went on it has mangroves and mudflats and I think a lot of people would overlook it but actually it was just this it was my favorite place on earth you just had to know how to look at it and we were lucky enough to be taught some of that by the traditional custodians of that land so very grateful for that I do think that is an optimist's take I don't think I'll cling to that when I want to but um I think the lack of new big things also coincides with better infrastructure. Also just planes, like people are catching planes. <laughs> I caught a plane from Brisbane to Cairns. I'm not I'm not fucking driving from Brisbane to Cairns, Jesus Christ. Like uh, you did a slightly shorter version of the drive you would need to get to Cairns to get to Port Douglas. And how was that? No, to Ely Beach. Ely Beach, sorry. Woof. Yeah. Long Wouldn't drive. <laughs> The one from Brisbane to Ely Beach, lots of potholes. As someone else tweeted a few days ago, I finally hit my complaining about potholes era. Bruce Highway is particularly fucked. Holy shit. Luckily, I'm hypervigilant. Sorry, that just reminded me. I saw the big toad on the way to Ely Beach. Big toad. I was like, why is there a big toad? And I was like, this is the place that the toad was first let out. Oh, goody. <laughs> That's not good. That's funny. It, it is funny that like, oh, this thing that like has utterly fucked up our ecosystems. It's like, this is all we've got. And they weren't trying to like, you know, make it a good thing. They're just like, well, this is what we've got. Big toad. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, you know what? I respect that. <laughs> Sometimes embracing kitsch is nice. Big things may attract tourists and may offer a sense of cultural pride or stability to local communities, but they don't really inform visitors about the environment nor about the ancient history of the land it occupies. While big things may try to connect people to landscape, it can only really tell a post-colonial story. Like, to be clear, while I point out the big Captain Cook as an overt instance of colonial big things, let's not forget that the big pineapple offers a view of a pineapple plantation. While I do not know about those specific plantations, like there is a long history of human trafficking and enslavement 
of people in Queensland alone. And, you know, it does still exist in a more sort of discreet, allegedly socially acceptable way to this day in terms of how we pay usually migrants to pick fruit. Sorry, that ended up more depressing than I remembered. Um, But um, what I meant to say was like sort of just bringing it back to like the, the history part. I think things can maybe coexist where you can have these kitschy things, but I think if you attempt to commit some truth telling, like I think you can just acknowledge the history of things. Even when I brought up, you know, the history of the port in Cairns, obviously it's fucking awful, but like I don't think that has to take away from the experience of like being in a place like I, I find it more important to just like acknowledge what happened and figure out how to move forward from how to work with first nations people to decolonize to decolonize and yeah and like you know just you can't you can't start fucking repairing shit if you can't even acknowledge what happened <laughs> I don't have like a final take on big things. I just found it interesting to like think of them as attempts to be like, hey, look, mm-hmm. like I know this is a boring drive. And it's like, no, it's actually this fantastic landscape. But also it is really funny to see a big prawn. Um, and that's okay too. If I want to play devil's advocate to the argument about like how, yeah, they don't really say much about the land, which very true. This is not really a counterpoint. You kind of touched on it a little bit as well. Like the travel to and from these places like, I do remember, like, particularly going to Sunshine Coast. You pass the Glasshouse Mountains, you pass Wild Horse Mountain. Some of them offer views of the surrounding country. I still think maybe, maybe in some way, there is a way for some of them to express a fondness for the country and the animals. I hate the idea of, like, national pride, but, like, pride in the place where you live or, you know, the space you inhabit without using imagery that's been co-opted by, like, weird nationalists and racists. Yeah, I I think that's fine. Even with the filling empty spaces thing. Because, yeah, sometimes it is just fun to have, like, a big fucked up looking koala that I've decided is the episode art. Having its, like, scary face, like, just staring at you. Oh my gosh. Between that koala and the big potato in Robertson, which is, like, (laughs) recently dubbed, like, the ugliest... Um, or the worst big thing in Australia. And it is so ugly, you guys. Um, incredible. It's my favourite. It looks like a big turd. It looks like fucking Warhammer scenery I tried to make as a, like, 10-year-old. <laughs> it looks like fucking dog shit. <laughs> Going into the appreciating the space around you, I did see in Amy Clark's article, apparently uh, she did these, like, very good graphs about depictions uh, shown by the big things. And apparently mm-hmm. during the 80s, which is probably the peak of building big things, that was when there was, like, a mass, you know, not only, like, nationally but internationally awareness of Australiana and namely native Australian animals. Right. People wonder if this was a result of films like, you know, Crocodile Dundee. You know, everyone got really mm-hmm. into crocodiles. But also, like, yeah, people realize, like, oh, koalas are kind of cute. Kangaroos, they're sort of nifty, huh? So, yeah, there are lots of big things of, like, native Australian animals. Like, again, the big fucking terrifying koala. That reminds me, not that I'm, I'm not being paid by Big Pineapple. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> big, big pineapple. Sorry. big big pineapple um but the uh remnants which means just the animals that they managed to not leave behind uh from alma park zoo in dacobin are now in um a zoo up at the big pineapple so if you go visit the big pineapple there are animals there but not the peacocks there were peacocks left behind in dacobin uh which is a housing estate now so people had peacocks wandering around because the owners were just like Bye! Not taking these peacocks. 
Right. I don't think they're native Australian animals. So why? So it doesn't really fit with the vibe. So we're just going to leave you here, peacocks. But yeah, um, that's kind of all I have on the big things thing. Besides me poo-pooing all over them, I do think they're cute. I think they're cute. I think they're ugly sometimes. I don't think the the big Captain Cook is cute. Obviously, there's exceptions, but... The big Ned Kelly's look like shit. Ned Kelly's going to get his own episode because, like, he in particular is someone that's been co-opted by, like, weird dudes and fuckwits with Ned Kelly tire covers. (laughs) Who probably love cops. (laughs) Yeah, it's weird because we love cops. Cop country loves Ned Kelly, who is a notable cop killer. I don't know. There's all these attempts to make him look like he's got the helmet and the gun, like... I'm sorry, guys. Uh, he's a shit character. If he was in a video game, everyone would be like, this guy sucks. Look at how fucking low res he is. <laughs> fucking poly- polygon looking shit. I-, I think maybe if we were going to have rules for big things moving forward, I think one of my rules would be no people. No people, no. No humanoids. To be fair, I've never seen a yaoi before, so I don't know if the yaoi statue in Kilcoy is technically a big yaoi because I don't, I don't know what yaoi's what size they're supposed to be yaoi's will come up i do have a an australian cryptids episode coming up uh before the end of the year so that will be a josie special well lucas and josie special of course that'll be a fun one though I, i think it's very fitting that my like last sort of on one uh episode for a while was tinged with so much crankiness and depressing shit it's, it's really it's really my hallmark, isn't it? Fucking hell. It's the nature of this podcast. Like, again, I did not expect big things to be so gothic. They are fucking gothic as shit. Big prawn, gothic. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna... <laughs> big koala, gothic. Oh, the episode art is gonna be all them wearing, like, corpse paint or whatever. Like, yes, big eye that is exactly... Oh my gosh, I'm getting... I can see it in my brain already. I just don't have the skills for it. But yeah, I can see it. Okay, God. Well, okay, the art was going to be just just the koala's fucked up face. But if someone wants to, someone who is better at Illustrator than I am, if someone wants to like give it all fucked up, like someone wants to make it make a Merkberg koala, please do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, fucking uh, satiricon looking king prawn. <laughs> Put it on a shirt. You're catering to your prawn lovers, your black metal lovers, and your Ozgoth lovers. Yeah, look, 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 possible merch idea. So, like, you know, patent pending, patent pending. Uh, yeah, you know, we've said it on the just, podcast, just, we own it. So, uh, I guess that's yeah. how podcast is law. <laughs> it's um, very professional to have producer meetings uh, while recording. <laughs> yeah, we'd yeah, we never do that. And if anyone nah. says we do, fuck off. No. They're lying. <laughs> no, look, look I, I agree with your going back to your rules because, uh, God, that's, that's a fun idea. I, I like the idea of uh, food items. And uh, native animals, I know they're probably not an economically viable idea because, again, like, I don't know, people just want to travel places as directly as possible. <laughs> I don't know. It could be fun. It could, And maybe it'll, maybe we can build them with longevity in mind. Well, you know what I'm thinking of now that you say that is, like, people prefer direct travel and everything like that. But I do know that as we sort of, to begin with, domestic travel, I feel is like quite popular at the moment because of COVID. Uh, also recognition of the, um, like how environmentally unfriendly plane travel is. I do know that, um, I mean, I'm in a silo, but I do have friends who are prioritizing train and uh, bus and car travel over a, a single plane ride. Um, so it's like, well, maybe, maybe there'll be a resurgence of some big things. I don't know. I thought of another rule. 
okay for, What's for big rule? things going ahead like you know looking at the sustainability angle because again a lot of these things were built out of like not quite paper mache but like you know <laughs> we're not intended for like long term definitely not asbestos meant to last, <laughs> last for longer than 50 years yeah asbestos like you know at least build it in a way so that when it falls apart it does so in a kind of cool way like maybe there's like confetti under like the big koala so like you know as as its face starts to rot off there's like we see the fucked up like framing but it's like pretty and colorful or maybe you know again i I know i said sustainability but like i don't know maybe we just just set it on fucking fire like like it like a folk festival and you know that's definitely not bad for the environment from my understanding no um, no fires in, in 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 um in places with a uh, very high fire risk who are potentially mm, still mm-hmm. recovering from like recent events yes um or i was just thinking like it has to produce more of the things that it's depicting so when you, the big prawn dies you have a prawn farm there when the big pineapple dies it little pineapple seeds go in there gumboots I don't have an answer. Um, <laughs> the bogan, uh, I don't know, just like oh, hundreds no. and thousands of bogans just come clawing out of the ground and they all <laughs> stare directly at Caboolture train station and howl in unison. You got a fucking, you got a fucking staring problem, cunt. That's what they say. That's their first words. Baby's first words in Caboolture, I should know. They turn to you, a person with no cigarettes, and ask you for a cigarette. And when you say you. no, they ask you again. And when you insist you have none on you, they tell you to fuck off. Got a lighter? Yeah, I, I gave, I've given people money uh, at Caboolture train station, but um, it was because they were, you know, look, they told me that they were trying to make it to their brother's funeral uh, and they couldn't afford the taxi ride. And I believe them. <sighs> worst case scenario, they got a good feed. Or didn't make... Oh, actually, no, worst case is that I didn't give them enough money for a taxi and they ended up stranded halfway to Bribey in fucking Ningi um, at the fruit barn. <laughs> like, that bitch didn't give me enough money. If I'm being really cynical, that, that money went straight to, like, you know, the nastiest bag of wine that they've ever had. Yeah, good on them. Yeah, yeah, why not? You do what you gotta do. <laughs> give them back to my community. Oh, fuck, if you really want to be kitchen. Is there, is there a big goon sack? Sorry, I'm gonna fucking Google oh, this right Google now. Oh, Google that now, please. There should be if there isn't. Because look, look, look. I don't know. That was an Australian invention. Uh, the the was it really? Yeah. Cask yeah. wine. Cask wine was an Australian invention. I know we all like to make fun of it. It is considered a. That's clever. Yeah, it's considered a very good way to store wine. Okay, there was a sculpture by the sea. That's about it. And now I'm just now I probably just fucked my Google results. It's just gonna like flog me the nastiest one. Fruity Lexia ads for days. <laughs> okay, there was a giant goon bag sculpture in 2014, a 15 meter goon bag at Perth Sculpture by the Sea exhibition. Okay. Ah, oh, I wish it stayed. That's so cool. It gets a whole patch it up. Well, yeah, exactly. And like, but the thing is though, is that if we somehow found it and bought it according to clark it wouldn't be a big thing anymore because it wasn't made for the context of its place no um, good point but that's okay that maybe maybe all of us could make our own big green sack that's some homework patreon goal when we launch the patreon <laughs> the pa- <laughs> i live in a giant green sack <laughs> make my house a giant green sack <laughs> now we just need a giant hills hoist <laughs> oh my gosh yes oh my gosh okay okay i'm coming up if we ever have like a leyland brothers big pineapple dodgy theme park deal on top it's a swing but it looks like a hills hoist so 
and you sit in like basically like little nets little little silvery alfoil nets and you just you're just the goon sack and now you get to experience life as a goon sack and it's not mechanical just like a bunch of drunk 20 year olds <laughs> spin it around and then just like and just menace at you it's a, we didn't say it was going to be like a fun ride it was more like you know a haunted house yeah you, you it's it's the australian gothic house you just have to take what's there <laughs> pretty or bad or whatever i'm not even drunk guys i'm just i'm just i'm just a little bit loopy no no i've had i've had peppermint tea and water i i don't know what's going on uh. chamomile chamomile and water for me fucking hell right, uh, this is... um yeah we should probably wrap up i think this is getting too silly all right we're having we're each having exactly two beers uh before we record and then another one while we record uh, all right to keep things normal keep things nice and normal and and saying like got out runtime this is this is kind of like a brisk episode as well uh uh, yeah, I hope no one minds that it's a kind of a shorter app. Uh, but uh, but no, Josie, thank you so much for doing the legwork on this one. I learned so much. And again, just like, can't believe how resonant this was. I just thought like, yeah. you know, oh, fucking remember the big pineapple? Wasn't that silly? Like, oh, there's some bleak shit here. Of course there is. <laughs> All right, cheers for that. Thank you. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening, everyone. As usual, uh, we have a Discord, link in the show notes. Uh, all of the references used in this episode will be available in the description. You can follow Josie at JSSPCR1. You can follow me at Luxism. You can follow us on Twitter at OzGothicPod. And you can follow us on SoundCloud at Australian Gothic Podcast. Uh, that's all this week. Thanks for listening. Love you.